Hey y'all, it's Crystal. And it's Samantha. And this is Serialholic Sisters. True crime shit. Hey girl, hey. Hey, hey. How's it going? Oh, it's going. It's going. I've realized that I'm one of those old people. The parents, they're so old and they're not hip and they're out of touch with the youths. Oh, that's me too. Don't worry. Yeah. I'm okay with it because what is hip and in touch with the youths is they've literally just started like taking words that are already words and giving them different meanings. Oh God. See, I'm definitely out of touch. What? So, like, <laughs> like what? Like the word cap now means lie. Oh yeah. No, I've heard that. That's, that's cap. That's I'm like, that's dumb. That's not, that doesn't dumb. just say lie. <laughs> <laughs> like my kids were arguing the other day and like joking with each other and they're arguing and all of a sudden one of them was like cap and I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, so, so it's funny you bring up that specific word because I actually had, <laughs> I actually had almost like, I felt like, I felt like really old when one, I think it was Aiden that said, oh, that's cap. And I was like, what kind of cap? Like a ball cap? <laughs> and I was like, oh, are you talking about like a bottle cap? And he looked like, at me like I was crazy. <laughs> like the, the cap of toothpaste tube? Like what? Are, what are yeah, he, he was just like, <laughs> it made me think of when, it, when she's like slapping the ham and she's like, not my ham. <laughs> what that ham is for slap? dinner. <laughs> not the ham I just bought. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it made me feel like. Oh my God, and that's funny. He he actually had to explain to me like that that's what it meant right they explained <laughs> to me that that's what that meant and i explained to them that no it doesn't you can't just change <laughs> definitions of words they're <laughs> just making up yeah. fucking words right so yeah um so yes that's i <laughs> i know that one <laughs> i thought you were gonna say like they changed the meaning of what they what they made up already and gave it a different oh, I mean probably so. who who fucking knows with these with I was these like heathens. I can't keep I can't keep up with these heathens <laughs> all right well it is my turn it is my your turn. turn and boy do I have a rough one this week so get ready for that oh see mine wasn't as rough I know I mean, it was bad so, it was I mean they're all bad but yeah I got this um suggestion from the lovely Shannon so you can all thank her for the terribleness that you're gonna mm-hmm. hear Mm-hmm. was it when you were on your luncheon for seven hours <laughs> I, she actually did give me that suggestion that I was at lunch with her for not seven hours but yes it was seven hours every time I call her every single time I call her she is at lunch you always call me at lunchtime I'm like <laughs> how many times do you eat <laughs> no, not really but, but I was like god dang it just text me when you're at lunch so I know not to call you damn every day text you like at lunch yes because I literally it it never fails I always call her when she is at lunch or I always sat down to eat or I always call her on her day off (laughs) at like seven in the morning (laughs) because I didn't realize that it was her day off so anyways she calls me on my day off at like seven in the morning and I'm like and she's like oh it's your day off bye (laughs) It turned into a goat. I don't know what that was. All right. So, so this week, I am going to be talking about the hi-fi murders. So I'm just going to go ahead and get into it. Okay. So although there were technically six men involved in this crime, two of those men took this from just like a run-of-the-mill robbery to the horrific murders. So I'm going to start by talking about those two. Men. Okay. There's not a ton of info I could find about their backgrounds. So I'm just going to get into it. I'm going to start with Dale Selby Pierre. Dale was born in January of 1953 in the Caribbean Isle of Tobago. 
He grew up on the Isle of Trinidad and was said to have always been in some kind of trouble. He had a reputation as a liar and was known to have quite the temper as a child. In June of 1970, when Dale was 18 years old, he left Trinidad and Tobago for the U.S. and he moved to Brooklyn and lived there until May of 1973 when he enlisted in the Air Force. He then moved to Utah, where he was stationed at the Hill Air Force Base as a helicopter mechanic. So it seems like we're heading in a good direction, right? Air mm-hmm. Force, that'll be good for him. It'll straighten him out. Maybe. Helicopter mm-hmm. mechanic, that's like a super important job. So he's clearly on the road to being a better person, right? Yeah. No, not, not at all. So just a few months after he arrived at the base, there was a moita. A moita. A moita, I say. And Dale quickly became a suspect in this murder. Oh. Is that a cat? It is. It's the only one that keeps coming in this bedroom. <laughs> and I keep closing the dang door. And he keeps somehow getting it open. I don't I don't know. I even put something heavy in front of the door and he just shoved it out. It's like muscles. Oh my he, god. <laughs> my cat do you have? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's part Satan. <laughs> oh good. <laughs> and it's also it's the one one of, so we have two cats and it's the one cat that's very vocal so you're gonna hear him all right so get ready for his input is that uh ace or if ace okay <laughs> snowball's too lazy to come up the stairs <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. so sergeant edward jefferson was found murdered in his apartment in october of 1973 how he was murdered was pretty horrific um he was found stabbed in the face with a bayonet. Oh, that yeah. is gruesome. Yeah. So, you know, those like old timey guns with the long knives yes. at the end of them. Yeah. So you can like stab your opponent. Yeah. So he was stabbed with that part. And he'd been stabbed in the face with such force that the handle was all that could be seen. Oh, uh, pretty gruesome. So why not shoot him? I, I don't know. Why do murderers do any of the things they do? Well, I mean, yeah, I guess that's a, a good listen. Remember, we're not trying to give people ideas on how to do it better. I didn't mean it in the way that it came out. I was just asking, like, yes, it's one of those knives that's on the... Like, why you know, do you have a bayonet? Do people even still have those? I mean, I know it's right. from the 70s, but did, they didn't I guess have them in, right? That was more of my question, like, why Why would they use that? Right. Out of I don't know. Anyways. So, yeah, why was Dale a suspect? So, for one thing, he was fairly new to the base, and he was, like, a major loner. Like, he didn't really hang out with anyone, except <laughs> recently. you're a loner doesn't mean you're a murderer. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But recently, he had actually gone over to Sergeant Jefferson's apartment, um, because Jefferson was like, hey, I've got some new music, and he was interested in music, so he was going to, like, tape the music for him. While he was over there, Jefferson noticed that his keys were suddenly missing. Dale was like, oh, damn, that's like super weird. Let me let me help you look for them. And the two of them searched the house high and low, but came up with nothing. No keys. Like they were just gone. The next day. When he went there? Yes. And then the yeah, next day, weird. Dale returned to Jefferson's apartment to help him look again. Because he was like, it just kept me up like all night. That's just, we must have missed something. There's no way they just disappeared. And then lo and behold, guess what Dale found? Jefferson's keys. His keys. They just miraculously appeared. Like, hallelujah. So he went right? and made a copy? Yeah. So Jefferson was not like hallelujah. He was like, that's fucking suspicious. 
And he just went right ahead and changed the locks to his apartment and the ignition to his car, just to be safe. Well, good for him. Good job. That's what right? I've done too. I'm like, bitch, just took a copy of my key. Right. <laughs> Who just I shows mean, back up and is like, oh, clearly hey, let me stole my keys. you. <laughs> right. <laughs> like he clearly took them because he was like, oh, I just couldn't sleep. You were missing your keys. I would have been like, why? <laughs> I slept just fine. <laughs> right. I slept like a baby. Um, <laughs> I was like, they're my keys. Why are you stressing about them? Yeah, right. you made a copy, motherfucker. <laughs> you made <Yes>. a copy. <laughs> it, he did. So it turned out that he had swiped his keys, brought them to the base to get duplicated. But when they were duplicated, why would you also, why would you take it? Okay, continue. Yes. Sorry, I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep right. messing. Like, you stupid, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, yes. He did sign a different name when he got him duplicated he signed the name curtis alexander so that it wouldn't that's get traced still, back to him that's still so sketch it's so sketch so after changing all of his locks jefferson ended up confronting dale about stealing his keys he's like come on bro like you totally clearly took them and of course dale denied everything and then the next day, Jefferson was found murdered. So Detective Don Moore took the case. And after interviewing dozens of people and researching this name, Curtis Alexander, Moore came to the conclusion that Dale had absolutely murdered Jefferson. He was like, this guy totally did it. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't enough evidence to arrest him or convict him or anything like that. So the case just remained unsolved until later on when Dale and a man named William Andrews were brought to trial for the hi-fi shop murders okay so let's talk about william andrews william was okay. born in virginia in 1953 so same age yes same age there was nothing to note of his childhood and by all accounts he was just like this well-behaved child with like a normal upbringing in 1973 he joined the air force and was stationed at hill base in utah as a helicopter mechanic just like dale obviously this is where he met dale selby and the two became fast friends this is taking hanging out with the wrong crowd, like, to the extreme. William, like, don't do it. Now, William was kind of the opposite of Dale socially. Like, William had a bunch of friends. He was easy to talk to. He enjoyed other people's company. But when he started hanging out with Dale, all of those other friends that he had just kind of drifted away. Because nobody really wanted to be associated with Dale. Because he, like, was known to have a shitty attitude and be, like, super sullen and just standoffish. In March of 1974, both men filed for separation from the Air Force, and it became super clear to their commanding officer that William was basically just a follower, and Dale, with his bad attitude and anger issues, was clearly his leader. So, recipe for bad news bears, guys. During the next month, the men would devise a plan to rob a local store in Ogden, Utah. They recruited four other men from the Air Force to help with this robbery. Um, one of them was a man named Keith Roberts, and the other three were just unknown men. Like, their identities were never discovered. Like, they're just unidentified men. Okay. On April 22nd, 1974, the six men decided it was time to strike. On Earth Day. Right? <laughs> and and, Sean, and Sean's birthday, but Right. That's Earth the only Day. reason I remember Earth on Day. The, on the Earth Day. Why would you do this? Right. They had decided to rob the local hi-fi shop, which was like basically a home audio store. They thought this was the best type of shop to rob because not only could they take the money in the store, they could also steal really expensive home audio equipment and then sell the stolen goods on the download. But you can't, like, that never works out. I don't never. understand why people never. 
why people think that robbing a store and they can sell the stuff later is going to work out because you're going to get caught selling this stuff. It's right. missing. You don't think that people are going to take inventory of this stuff? They, they know it's missing, guys. <laughs> it's gone. They know it's gone. And now all of a sudden a brand new one comes up pop, for sale two days later. No, that doesn't work, bruh. <laughs> well, they're determined. This is what they're going to do. God. Anyways, continue. The six men... <laughs> The six men took two vans and they arrived at the store just before closing. Keith and one of the unidentified men stayed with the vans as getaway drivers while Dale, William, and the other two unidentified men went inside the store like to survey and, and get to Robin. So this had been get a day Robin. get to Robin, you know. Robin and Junk. Um, this had been a day just like any other day for 20-year-old Stanley Walker and 18-year-old Michelle Anson. They were both getting ready to close up shop and end their shifts at the hi-fi store. Um, Michelle had actually just been hired a week before. She and her boyfriend were recently engaged, and she was saving up for a wedding that they had planned for August of that year. As Stan and Michelle got ready to lock up, the four men walked into the store and pointed guns at the young employees. They took Stan and Michelle down to the basement of the store where they tied them up. Now, unfortunately for 16-year-old Courtney Naisbitt, the men didn't lock the door when they came in, and he just walked right into the chaos. Oh. Courtney and Stanley knew each other, and Stan would let Courtney park his car behind the shop while he, like, ran errands. So Courtney was just coming to get his car, and instead of walking around to the back of the store and just getting his car, he thought he would walk through the store so he could thank Stanley again for, like, letting him park there. Oh, no. I know. That is so really awful. Why, why not just go out back, buddy? <laughs> he was a nice kid that was just going to be like, thanks again for letting me, you know, do this. Oh. I know. As soon as he walked in, the men were on it, and he was also taken down to the basement and bound. If the men were planning on just, like, robbing the store and not hurting anyone, why would they not lock the door and stop people from coming in? Because they weren't. That's not what right. they were just planning, clearly. Exactly. Exactly. And Go also, ahead. if you're planning on robbing the store, you're wanting to get in and get out. That's another right. thing. Like, you want to get in, and you want to get out. You want to go in there, you threaten them, whatever. I mean, you know, that's usually what people would do. Again, we're not telling <laughs> people how to do again, this. This is coming off awful. But, like, you go in, and you're like, give me your money, give me your stuff, blah, blah, blah. Oh. And then you're, like, trying to hurry up and get out before the police are called. Yeah. So you want to hurry up and get out. It didn't make sense. Like, it does not make sense, because one of their defenses was, oh, it was just robbery gone wrong. No. no, it was premeditated. Clearly. It was premeditated for sure. Because this so doesn't this, make sense. This math does not be mathing. It's not math. So at this point, we have three very young hostages. Like, basically, they're all just kids, right? So they were 16, 18, and 20. And what do a lot of kids have? Well, they have parents who notice when they don't come home. So that's what's going on, okay? 43-year-old Oren Walker, Stanley's dad, had gotten worried that his son hadn't made it home yet and decided to go to the hi-fi and check on them. And since the damn door still hadn't been locked, Oren walked right in. So he, too, was then jumped and taken down to the basement. Now, at this point, the men knew they, they've got too many witnesses to what's going on because people just keep coming in, you know, because they can't lock the fucking door. Dale told William to go out to the van and get some. So William left and soon returned with a bottle and a brown paper bag. Dale took the bottle and he poured a blue liquid into a cup and he told Oren to take the cup around and make the others drink from it. Is that antifreeze? Close. 
Oren was like, absolutely not. Like, I'm not doing that. What? Like, no. So they bound and gagged him and they left him lying face down on the basement floor. Well, just then they heard someone else above entering the store. Terrified, 16-year-old Courtney recognized the voice of his mother, Carol. So 52-year-old Carol had been running on like a mother's instinct after getting a terrible gut feeling that something was wrong. Like her son should have been home a while ago and nobody was going to convince her that her gut feeling was wrong. Like family members were like, calm down, Carol. He's like a 16-year-old kid. He's probably like hanging out with kids and lost track of time. But she just could not shake the feeling that something was off and went out looking for him. Which I'm sorry, but that's a mother's instinct. And it's right. usually 100% right. And it was I, I right. Freak out. I freak out too. Mm-hmm. So knowing that he would sometimes park his car at the hi-fi shop, she drove by and was relieved to see his car parked out back. But that relief quickly turned to terror after she went into the store and was overpowered by two strange men dragged down to the basement and tied up beside her son. Again, like what part of robbing a store do you not understand? Go in, grab they, stuff, get out. <laughs> like They literally don't understand the, the concept at all. That's why I'm like, this is definitely, they just, right. it's chaos. It's just chaos at this point. You're chaos. You don't go in uh, stay for and hours honest, and just let and honestly, all the people come in. Right. And honestly, I believe like, it was probably premeditated for whoever was in there at the time, but they were just so fucking chaotic and didn't, mm-hmm. couldn't get their shit straight that they didn't lock the door. And so more people kept coming in and they were like, well, fuck, might as well take this person. Might as well take this person. Right. So it's turning into bigger than they had planned. Oh, for sure. So while the two unidentified men stayed upstairs to actually do the robbing of the store, like start loading mm-hmm. the vans, um, Dale and Williams stayed down in the basement to take care of the problem that they had down there. Dale instructed the five of them that they were going to drink whatever the blue substance was that he had poured into this cup. But he's like, don't worry about it, though. It's it's just vodka. Vodka's not blue. <laughs> right. Vodka's water looking. Vodka is clear. <laughs> it is clear. Yeah, they were like, if it's just vodka, then like, why is it blue, though? <laughs> and he was like, well, it's not just vodka. So it's vodka mixed with this German drug that I have. And it's just going to make you go to sleep. And then by the time you wake up, I'll be like, we'll be long gone. This will all be over. So that's all. That's it. That's all. So just leave. <laughs> just fucking leave then, right? Like- <laughs> <laughs> I could never be kidnapped. I, I that. I'd be like, that makes no sense, bruh. You just need to leave. <laughs> like, just leave. I, 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 you want me to close my eyes and you leave? That's fine. <laughs> I'm asleep. Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So okay. obviously this drink was not what Dale said it was. It was poison. <laughs> but they didn't really have a choice in the matter because they were like pointing guns at them and like physically forcing them to drink it at this point. So the blue liquid was actually Drano. So Dale and William. So it's just eating their insides then. Oh yeah. So Dale and William had recently watched the Clint Eastwood movie Magnum Force. Of course. And in this movie, a sex worker was forced to drink Drano and like then almost instantly die. So after seeing this, they knew that this was the way that they could kill these witnesses quickly. But they didn't realize that just because it's in the movies, that doesn't mean it's true. (laughs) Like, yes, you can absolutely die from drinking Drano, but it's not going to happen instantly. So what's going to happen is it's going to cause blisters and chemical burns to whatever tissue it touches. Mm -hmm. So your lips, inside your mouth, down your throat, inside your stomach. 
So immediately after drinking the Drano, the victims began screaming, like in excruciating pain. The skin around their mouth started peeling away and blistering. Um, So seeing this, Oren was careful not to swallow the liquid. So he tricked the men into thinking that he was in pain. That he right because he started to scream and like convulse like the others. But in actuality, he'd put it in his mouth, but he'd let it run out the side of his mouth instead of swallowing it. So he still got the blisters in and around his mouth, but, but at not, least in- not like in his esophagus and his stomach and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So while seeing all of this, Michelle began to plead and cry, like begging for a life. Dale was getting really angry that it was taking so long for these people to die. Like this was nothing like the movie, what, what was happening. Well, I mean, duh. <laughs> right. He was also getting angry that they were being so loud about their suffering. Okay. <laughs> right. Like he was like, if this is going to get somebody's attention, if they don't be quiet. So his solution to this was to try to duct tape their mouths shut with more Drano in their mouth. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. But he began to get super frustrated when he realized this was not going to happen because the stuff like oozing from the blisters was making it impossible for the adhesive to like stick to their lips. Like it was just sliding right off. Yeah. Told you it was rough. This was too much for Dale. He wasn't patient enough to wait around for them to die. Their deaths were taking way too long for his liking. And they were too loud and too messy. So his solution to this was to start shooting the victims. So he walked up behind Carol and shot her directly in the back of the head. He then shot Carol's son, Courtney, in the same manner, back of the head. He shot at Oren, but he missed. And then to Oren's horror... Dale turned the gun on his own son, Stanley, and fatally shot him in the head. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Dale then shot at Orn again, this time grazing him in the back of the head. Now, while all this was going on, Michelle was still, like, crying and begging for her life. Dale grabbed her, took her to the far corner of the basement. This is rough. He forced her to undress at gunpoint and then told William to leave them in the basement for 30 minutes. So William goes upstairs. Dale then repeatedly raped her. When he was finally finished assaulting Michelle, Dale allowed her to use the bathroom while he watched because he's a fucking creep. And then he dragged her back to where the other victims were, threw her on the ground, face down, and fatally shot her in the back of the head. Now, Oren, who was still alive at this point, heard her last words, which were, I'm too young to die. And she was 18. Like, how? Ugh. So, Oren is still alive at this point. This really pisses Dale off. Like, why won't this guy die already? Like, he forced him to drink Drano. He shot him in the back of the head. Like, what the hell? I would have just played dead. Right. So, he's irate. He grabs a wire, wraps it around Oren's throat, and attempts to strangle him to death. But again, unlike what the movies tell us, strangling someone to death takes a lot of energy, and it takes a long-ass time. It's not a a quick... (laughs) Also, Orn was not a dummy, so he actually, like, flexed his neck in a certain way that when Dale wrapped the wire around his throat, he was still able to breathe while Dale was attempting to strangle him. So after a while of this not working, in a fit of rage, Dale drops the wire and grabbed a ballpoint pen <gasps> and shoved it into Orn's ear. It gets worse. He then proceeded to stomp down on the pin until it punctured his eardrum, broke in half, and exited the side of his throat. 
Yeah. This is somebody that was clearly just planning on robbing a place. Right? Yeah, for sure. So Dale and William then went upstairs. They helped the other men finish loading everything into their vans and they left. The entire nightmare ended up lasting about two hours. And the men got away with about $24,000 worth of equipment. The victims were discovered three hours later when Orrin's wife and younger son came looking for him and Stanley. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. So noticing the store had been looted, Mrs. Walker, like, stayed outside and called 911 while her son went around to the back of the store. He could hear noises coming from the basement, and so he, like, kicked in the back door. He was still alive. I can't, first of all, this kid was 16. I can't imagine what he went through after finding what he found. So his brother Stanley and Michelle Ansley were both dead. Mm -hmm. Miraculously, Orrin, Carol, and Courtney were all still alive. Carol and Courtney? Yes. They were shot in the back of the head, weren't they? They were. It wasn't looking good for any of them, though. Right. But this guy is, like, really awful at killing people clearly it's really awful at everything clearly i mean yes but (laughs) (laughs) it's not looking good for them ambulances arrive load them up rush them to the hospital unfortunately carol was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital she didn't make it past the ambulance ride um courtney was not expected to survive but he somehow managed to pull through he did have severe and irreparable brain damage causing him to have some amnesia and forget everything that had happened which is kind of good for him but also it made him unable to like later testify against Mm -hmm. these fucking monsters um he was hospitalized for 266 days before getting released he was able to return to high school a year after the incident and graduated with his class and it's still sad though although he survived his story does not have a happy ending so due to brain damage from his injuries he was unable to complete college he was unable to hold down a job he was a forced yeah he was forced to apply for social security assistance to have any kind of income and suffered from like chronic pain for the rest of his life in 2002 at 44 years old courtney ended up dying so that leaves oren oren did survive he did have extensive burns to his mouth and chin as well as severe damage done to his ear from the pen stomping incident. Luckily, it didn't take long to figure out who was responsible for this terrible crime. Not long after news of the crime broke, an anonymous Air Force employee called the Ogden police and told them that William Andrews had confided in him months earlier, saying, one of these days, I'm going to rob that hi-fi shop, and if anyone gets my way, I'll kill them. Yep. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) super smart super smart that's not suspicious (laughs) right i'm gonna rob the shop and if anyone gets in my way i'll kill them not suspicious at all so um this tip also somehow i didn't see how but it said that it also implicated dale and keith roberts the Mm -hmm. one that was like a getaway guy so police were like okay that's like a solid ass tip thanks for that but without any kind of evidence right now that's really just like hearsay but um That was okay because just hours after this tip came in, police got another call from two teenage boys that had been like dumpster diving near the Hill Air Force Base. And the teens told police that they found some wallets and purses with IDs in them. And immediately they recognized the people on the IDs from the news as like the victims of the hi-fi murders. 
Mm-hmm. So when police Lord arrived, mercy. yeah, they they literally just like went to their base and threw the stuff in the dumpster there. I swear, right. <laughs> So when police arrived, there was already like this huge group of people from the base gathered around and police saw this as an opportunity. They were like just super dramatic when they removed each item from the dumpster. They used like these tongs and were just like waving the evidence around in the air for like everyone to see. (laughs) (laughs) So while this was going on, they noted that all of the service personnel who had gathered around the dumpster Pretty much they all stood still, like in silence, with the exception of two men. Del P. William Andrews. (laughs) Weird. Weird how that happens, too. Right, right. So these guys. All about that body language. (laughs) Yeah, these guys and body language they had. So they were, like, pacing around the crowd. They were talking super loud. They're making, like, frantic gestures with their hands. Mm -hmm. Like, playing it super cool, boys. They're like, we're going to get caught. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The jig is up. (laughs) yeah based on their super suspicious behavior and the anonymous officers implications dale william and keith were all arrested and search warrants were issued for their barracks in their barracks police found flyers for the hi-fi shop and a rental contract for a storage unit so (laughs) they kept they kept literally all their evidence where they lived (laughs) yes yeah the police were like hey let's get let's get a warrant for this storage unit let's go check out what's in there (laughs) There they found equipment that had been taken from the hi-fi shop that was later positively ID'd from their serial number. So they're like, they were for certain that was the stuff that had been stolen. They can track that stuff, guys. <laughs> and they also found a half-empty bottle of Drano. Of course they did. So they found the murder, one of the, one of the first attempted murder weapons. Right. The men went to trial where Orrin Walker testified against them. During his testimony, he called Dale a sadist. And said that he deserved to die for what he'd done. He said that after Dale shot and believed he had killed Carol, he was like prancing around, walking in a manner that made it clear that he was enjoying what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Oren also well, said, I felt like he enjoyed it anyways because right. he like sexually assaulted yes Michelle mm-hmm. before she was executed. So yeah, absolutely, he he enjoyed it. Right. Oren said. This has been hard for me to believe that I was ever involved with any of this. My son Stanley's life was taken with two shots in Drano. He tried five different times to kill me. Each one could have been lethal. It certainly changed our lives. Oren then explained how his 16-year-old son that had found them was so traumatized that he would only sleep on a mattress in the, in, um, the floor of his parents' bedroom. Oh my gosh. And he refused to ever go into the basement of their home. And he also said that his wife now spends just most of her time in bed trying to forget what happened. Dale and William were each convicted of three counts of first degree murder and two counts of aggravated robbery. They were given three life sentences, one for each of the lives they took. And they were both sentenced to death. Keith Roberts was acquitted of murder after the court found that he had no role in or any knowledge of the murders. He was simply the getaway driver for what he thought was a robbery. So he was convicted of two counts of aggravated robbery and sentenced to five years to life. After Hmm. nearly 13 years in prison, he was paroled in May of 1987. What? Yeah. They let him out? The the getaway driver one, yeah. The one that was never actually in the store. 
I don't care. I feel like they shouldn't let any of them out. I'm sorry, right. but but you were involved in this. Like I would have drove away. Yeah. And not stay it there. took me a second to realize what you're talking about. But yes, like first of all, like, I wouldn't have been involved in a robbery. As, well, right, but I mean, in this case, like you knew, like it there took was something two bad hours, happening, right? Two and hours, you, I would not have stayed. Like no, you know, you did something wrong, and you saw people keep just walking into the store and not walking out. I'm sorry, but I, I believe he should have gotten life. Period. So that's he, awful. He was yeah. an accessory to a to several heinous murders. crime. Yeah. Yes. He ended up. Um, he moved to Chandler, Oklahoma, to live with relatives, which I drive through every time I go to visit y'all. By the way, Chandler, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And um, on August eighth, nineteen ninety two, Keith died by suicide. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I kind of feel a little bad, but <laughs> <laughs> but still, that's just because. I'm sure it haunted him. I'm sure, yeah. But um, still, I mean, he had the ability to drive away. Right, right. He, he had did. the ability to leave and leave them with the mess that they created. Or call the police, like, you know. A hundred percent. Like, he like, could have yes, left, you were found accessory help. to it, but if you called the police and stopped it when this was I'm going sorry, on. sorry, but if you would have said, hey, I'm coming to turn these guys in. So I, I'm going to admit, I tried robbing the place. I was the getaway car, but it turned into something worse. And I can't be a part of that. Right. Like you would have probably gotten a plea deal for that. Yeah. And he clearly felt very guilty for not doing just that. Now the death sentences that Dale and William received became super controversial, especially because Williams, in Williams case, he didn't technically kill anyone. So it but was, he right knew but it, it was happening. Yes, and he, he knew that he was gonna sexually that he was gonna sexually assault Michelle. Dude, he, he left told, him down there. Right. So it became controversial because Dale and William were both black men, and all the victims were white, and the jury was white. So it was argued by some that sentencing them to death was like super racist. It's not racist. Right. It's not racist. Like they had tortured. I'm sorry that they decided. I mean, they decided to do this crime. Their race means nothing. Exactly. Any at all. Anybody could have walked into that store and they would have done the same thing. If it was a white man, I would hope that you would treat the white man the same way. They don't deserve to be released. They they killed multiple people yeah and whether will i'm sorry but whether william actually pulled the trigger or not he also was an accessory to murder absolutely absolutely originally there had been one black member of the jury but that member had been dismissed before the trial began so this caused outrage and people were that like knew nothing about anything with the case they're like oh see that's super racist like they (laughs) Right. But the truth was that that juror had been dismissed from duty because they were a law enforcement officer who personally knew just about everybody involved in the case. Mm. So they were really trying to make sure that it was a fair trial and dismissing that juror. Like they're like, no, that would be biased. Like we can't do that. It's always, you'll never change. You'll never change people that want to split races, period. You may not be a racist, but if you're trying to determine somebody being unfair by another person's race then to me that's a racist thing to say like it like it has nothing to do about the color 
color of your skin. It has to do with the fact that you killed people. Right. Period. A murderer is a murderer, period. Period. I don't know you why there should be discussion people, about that. You took innocent people's lives on purpose, definitely premeditated it because you didn't lock the door or even take your time. You took I mean, your time to steal. You brought Drano after watching that movie, knowing that that's how you planned on killing people. Literally premeditated murder. So yes, I'm sorry. It has nothing to do with the color of your skin. It has to do with the fact that you're a piece of shit. Yes. <laughs> and also, I want to point out that me saying you watched the movie and did it because of the movie, that's not just like speculation. Like they both literally admitted they watched that movie over and over and completely planned the Drano thing because of that. Also, just for anybody listening, first of all, don't do any stupid crimes. <laughs> like, don't be dumb. But also, stop believing everything in the movies. <laughs> oh my god! Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know how many cases we've we've like talked about, or even read about, or even know about that people are like trying to imitate things that happen in movies. Like, it, they're movies for a reason, right? <laughs> they're fiction. <laughs> <laughs> After being de- denied clemency. Dale was executed by lethal injection on August 28th, 1987. He, before his death, he bequeathed all of his money to William, which was $29 in total. So thanks for that. Um, he just, he declined a last meal and he spent his last day praying, reading a Bible and singing hymns. Oh, honey. No, nobody's going to save you. No, you definitely went to hell. <laughs> It's just too little, too late. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, his last words were, thank you. I'm just going to say my prayers. Like, whatever. William was executed by lethal injection on July 30th, 1992, barely a week before Keith committed suicide. Oh, Yeah. Um, like I Me. said, I know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, his death was considered especially controversial since he didn't directly kill anyone, even though he did admit that he and Dale had gone with the intention of murder. And he admitted that he did forcefully administer Drano down those victims' throats. His last meal was a banana split, which he shared with his sister and his niece. And his last words were, thank those who tried so hard to keep me alive. I hope they continue to fight for equal justice after I'm gone. Tell my family goodbye, and I love them. What equal? It was equal. (laughs) It was was equal. You also, you may not have killed them, but you definitely attempted to kill them with the Drano. Attempted murder. Yes, I believe accessory to murder, attempted murder, (laughs) premeditated murder. Yes, murder is in those words. Murder. Yeah. So, I am also totally for equal justice, but like justice was totally served here. Like he was not an innocent man. Besides admitting to everything that he admitted to, let me just tell you about what he did while he was in jail on death row. And then you can tell me if he sounds super innocent. Okay. He was identified as the leader in setting a bunch of fires and maximum security. He threatened to rape two inmates. He threatened a prison official's life for taking away his smuggled volume. A homemade knife was found in his cell. He threatened to rape another prison officer and the officer's entire family when he gets out of prison. He threw hot water in another officer's face. He threw a metal-ended broom handle at another officer, like kind of like a spear, slicing the officer's cheek with a gash so deep that it required several stitches. Yeah. 
uh, you don't even have to continue the list. <laughs> right. Super innocent. Well, you this are was, not innocent. <laughs> this was so unjust. Um. So yeah, super innocent. He also told several inmates that he planned on escaping and then he would cut off anyone's head that got in his way. So that's cool. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that is the terrible, awful, horrific, gruesome case of the hi-fi murders and the terrible people that did them. Except for those random unidentified men that, like, so, I couldn't find information about them at all. So the one that lived and testified, like, he didn't have brain damage? No. Like, he had he had severe damage, like, for the rest of his life to, like, his ear. And well, right. I'm just like shocked that, that it didn't. No, he didn't have. It didn't go, yeah. like, penetrate his skull. Nope, because the way that it went, like, it had went, when the pin broke, it Sideways. went down his throat, right, instead of. Yeah, I know. Ugh. But yeah, he did end up um, eventually passing away like years later, but not due to any of this. Yeah. So yeah. Well, what a case. What a case. Super awful. What a case. Thanks a lot, Shannon. Yeah, you're, of course she had to pick that. <laughs> all right. So that's that on that. Follow us. All right. Follow on, us on all the stuff. All the stuff <laughs> things. Instagram, Facey Space. Go to SierraHolicSisters.com where you can contact us. You can just say hi or you can request <laughs> cases. <laughs> Preferably cases. <laughs> if you want to say hi, that's cool. Just don't like say anything mean because I can't. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, if you've got any Gosh, case suggestions yeah. that you want to hear, send them our way. And I think that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Must <laughs> well, be <that's, that's> <laughs> <being> offering. <laughs> okay, okay, bye. Okay, bye.